Hope and holiness amid hostility. I truly pray that, that you have, in the midst of this series, been encouraged, uh, that your hope has, has increased as we've talked and as we've focused on the ultimate source of our hope in life, and that's Jesus Christ. Uh, a devout believer in astrology, French King Louis XI, was deeply impressed when an astrologer correctly foretold that a lady of the court would die in eight days' time. Now, deciding, however, that the too accurate prophet should be disposed of, Louis summoned the man to his apartments, having first told his servants to throw the visitor out of the window when he gave the signal. You claim to understand astrology and to know the fate of others, the king said to the man, so tell me at once what your fate will be and how long you have to live. You know, he thought about it for a moment and thinking on his feet, he says, I shall die just three days before your majesty. <laughs> right? Good thinking, right? Obviously, either lucky on the first try or whatever, but uh, the, the king was so shaken by this message that uh, he canceled his plans and did all he could to get the, land, the man to live forever, right? Because um, our news and media organizations make their living. Um, they get their viewership by using these powerful forces, discontent and curiosity and anxiety and fear. Think about that. Uh, think about the last news report that you watch. They get their viewership from those things. Meteorologists, right? You wouldn't think, well, what would a meteorologist do? But when you think about them, they spend a lot of time in reporting storms, serious storms, sensational things. I, I follow one on, on Facebook. He's a storm chaser, and, and he thrives and makes his income on natural disasters. Um, or, you know, the fork, they forecast the weather for the next few days or the next few weeks, and, and now they even attempt to give an, an outlook of what the weather's going to be a month from now or two months from now. And I'm always sort of, I don't know, I, you know this, I, I appreciate uh, the, the length of time and explanation that Don Day goes into his weather reporting, and then some, some people always say to me, oh yeah, you trust Don Day, huh? Like he's ever right. Um, the problem is, and, and I read this too, in, in forecasting the future, you, when you give a day or you give a time, you should never give them both at the same time. Give one or the other, and then you have a much higher probability of being correct, right? Um, anchor men and anchor women feed us negative headline after negative headline from today. And then, especially with our 24-hour news channels, they try to figure out how that negative headline today is going to affect your life next week, next month, next year. And they spend 24 hours a day talking about it. They bring in their experts who give their opinions, and then we take that as, yep, that's, gonna, that's what's going to happen. And we get wrapped up into the idea and we get lost into the fact that this guy, he's not in that job anymore. He's just telling you what he thinks. And, and we can unfortunately base um, the future on that. Um, 
complete and total speculation, but yet spun as if it is the rest of the story. Business reporters, oh no, look what the market is doing. What are we going to do now, right? Um, what is the Fed going to do with the interest rate? How will that change things? What, the decisions that we make then are based on somebody's forecast of what might happen. As human beings, we seem to have an insatiable curiosity about the future. I think one of the reasons that we have that curiosity or want to know is because it gives us some sense that we're in control of what's going to happen in the days to come, right? Um, uh, it's, it's a lot more comfortable to know that something is going to happen than to be surprised by it. And we try this with so many things. Uh, many of us wish we had a crystal ball and we could look into the future. The disciples were asking the same questions when they're wandering around with Jesus and Jesus uh, is recorded in the Gospels as talking about the end times. The disciples asked the, the question, when is this going to happen? What's it going to look like? Um, this is not new. It, it seems that since God has placed eternity into our hearts, we have this curiosity of the future. And we need to understand that this is normal. It's not abnormal to be curious about what's going to happen in the future or want to know what's going to happen in the future, but we also need to know that, that God hasn't given us all of the things. God, there are things that God doesn't want us to know. There are things that God knows that we don't need to know. Sometimes as parents, we think that with our children. Yeah, I know you want all the information, but I'm not going to give it to you. You just need to trust me. You need to trust that I, and, and sometimes we do that as an effort to save our kids from unnecessary anxiety. We don't want them to worry about things that are completely out of their control, which is why sometimes God does the same thing. And I always wanted, when it, when it came to dating and marriage and stuff, I, was, I always thought it'd be great if I could just, God could just mail me a letter. You know, give me a dream to, to make me for sure that this is the person that I should marry. But I think about that and I think, well, if God did that, especially a year or two in advance, I would find out reasons, I would find reasons why that's not the person. Right? I mean, I would, I, would, I would find out reasons why maybe, maybe I didn't hear the message clearly. Uh, maybe I just don't understand it, or I'm not convinced that he can be fully trusted. There are things that God puts definitely in our path and says, this is what it is, and there are things that God just says, you know what, you need to trust me. Here's what I've given you. It's enough. It's enough for faith. It's enough for trust. It's enough for you to successfully live your life um, but we have this innate, insatiable desire of the want to know. And as we have seen, it had, it had drawn the Thessalonians into the want to know. It was, seemed to be an obsession when it came to, to the end. Last week we looked at the rapture and, and Paul was teaching them on the rapture. They were afraid, they were worried, they were nervous. What's going to happen to those who have already died? What's going to happen to those... If we're alive and the rapture occurs, what's going to happen to those? And Paul assured them that those who are in Christ will be raised on that day. They will be transformed. Today, Paul moves in, in the same uh, thought, meaning uh, Paul sticks with the end, but he's changing 
um, the type of end that he's talking about. Uh, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. If you have not turned there yet, please do. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. See, Paul is now talking about the end, capital T, capital E. Um, the day of the Lord. Look at it there in verse 1, 2, and 3. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. First of all, we're talking about the day of the Lord. This is the final judgment. Paul has changed from the rapture to the day of the Lord. It's different. He's talking about a different event. This event will take place after the tribulation, and it is God's final movement upon earth and humanity, where those who are not in Christ will be cast into eternal separation from God, and those who are because there will be some. There's still, as far as I've read, we can, we can talk about this, um, there, there will be an opportunity during the tribulation for some to believe. Now, we're gone. We're out of here. Praise Jesus. Okay? Um, Listen to Joel chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Before them the earth shakes, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon are darkened, and the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number, and mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? The final judgment is not going to be good. Um, it will be dreadful. The seven bowls of God's wrath are described in Revelation chapter 16. They will be part of the day of the Lord, the final judgment. It is not going to be good for those who are on the earth. Uh, Revelation chapter 19 concludes the end. The beast is captured along with all of the false prophets and the final battle will occur. We're given information about the end. And it can be tempting to try to figure it all out so that we know exactly what order, how it's going to happen, kind of when it's going to happen, how, how much time is going to be between this event and that event. I, I'm convinced we can't know that. And we need to be okay with that. We need to be okay with, I don't know. Just as the disciples had to be okay with Jesus saying, I don't know. In fact, Jesus said, I don't even know. When he was with the disciples, I don't even know the day. Only the Father knows the day. We are given information about the end. So there must be trust. What then is going to happen? Well, God is going to win. Uh, no matter how bad the battlefield looks, no matter how desperate people seem to be, no matter what the score seems to be, he wins. And as believers along with him, we will win too. Amen? Amen. I wish I could have said that about some of my football teams yesterday. No matter how far behind they were going to be, they were going to win. Yeah, well, that didn't happen. So what about the win? 
Uh, unlike the rapture, which will happen in the blink of an eye with no warning other than a trumpet blast and a call of the archangel, there are some signs of when the day of the Lord is approaching. Um, I don't have time to go into detail about them, but I, I'm just going to give you a few of the signs that, that uh, theologians believe clearly point to the period of time before the end. Uh, an Elijah-like prophet who will herald the imminent coming of the Lord Jesus will be raised up. There will be an evangelist who will be alive, who will, who will be proclaiming the good news of the gospel during this time after the rapture, and there will be some who believe. There will also be many, many false prophets who will be putting their effort in to convincing all of those people that they shouldn't believe that. There will be a worldwide rebellion against God and his word. The rise of the Antichrist, who will take his seat in and desecrate the temple of God, will happen. The Antichrist will also bring a short-lived peace throughout the world, followed by war. Revelation chapter 6 also describes many things that will happen before the day of the Lord. Now, think about this. Okay, we know some of those things. And, and I've thought about this for, for decades, actually. And you've, if we've had conversations about this, you've probably heard me say this. I would not doubt that those Jews who were being murdered and killed during the Holocaust had to think, it can't get any worse than this. This has got to be the tribulation. Right now, it's got to be happening. Maybe, maybe not. I, see, here's the problem when we start thinking that we need to know this stuff is we get so obsessed with it and then we begin to worry about it. Well, but I need to know this. No, no, we don't need to know this. It's good to study it, I believe. It's good to have thoughts on this. We can have great discussions and debates about what this means and about what this means. And, and I've had many of these with my brother, Dennis, um, conversations about the end times, what it's going to look like. But if we become obsessed with it, it brings us into... I think it actually feeds into what the enemy wants from us. And, and here's what I mean by that. We get wrapped up and obsessed with this end time stuff, this information, this trying to figure all of this out, that we forget to live our life today. And, and my question to you, in, in order to try and keep a balance with, with being interested in this, because I'm, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be or that we, we shouldn't study it or, or uh, try and figure these things out. Paul is teaching us, Paul is teaching the Thessalonians and us about it right here. But the end of a period of time when we have gone either or instead of both and when it comes to living and, and being obsessed or or super focused on end times theology. The question I would have for you is, at the end of your life when you take your last breath, if you were given a moment to look back on the last 10 years of your life, would you say that all of your effort to understand that helped accomplish the mission of God through your life in the last 10 years, or did it detract away from it? Just a, just a simple question to ask yourself. As I live my life today, 
The things that I'm focusing on, the opinions that I have, the, the information that I'm pulling in, um, the, the priorities that, have, that I have in my life, are those things a part of the mission God has for me or are those things that I have just become attracted to and, and have gravitated towards? Just, just ask yourself that question and ask God to, to answer that for you. Um, so he says about the end that we can't know. Luke 12, verse 39. But understand this, Jesus says, if, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. So if, if a robber told you, I'm coming to your house tonight, right? What would you say? What would you do? Be like, hey, Sheriff Fleener, um, I got this guy that's coming to rob me tonight. Could you, you know, send a car over? And we, we would be ready, right? But that's not how they do it. They, they, they just show up. And before you know it, you've been robbed, or you may not even know it. I was robbed once from some stuff that was on my driveway, and I'm not sure if it was two weeks or a month or six months before I noticed that it was actually missing. Um, it, it was... It was four custom rims that had come off of my daughter's car, and they had sat over at Roy Trowbridge's house on his driveway for a year and a half, and I finally get them out of his way and bring them to my driveway, and somebody gets them out of my way. Um, see, what Jesus is saying here is, if, essentially to me, if, if you know the day, then you're going to do whatever you want until that day. You're not going to be ready. You're going to piddle around and do your own thing knowing that, that I got time. See, the, the, the problem is the way we live our lives today is just like that. Like somehow we have some knowledge that we're going to live forever and, and we just want to live our own life today or for the next decade or two. And, and, and I've had lots of people tell me, well, I'll get serious about spiritual things one day. For now, I just, I want to, sow my wild oats, so to speak. That's dangerous. Eternally dangerous to live our life that way. So we're not going to know the day. Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. We don't know when. Jesus could return tomorrow. He could return next month, next year, next century. I, I truthfully hope that it's sooner rather than later, honestly. But, but my end, my death, and your end, your death, the day that you take your last breath on earth, could happen today. It could happen next week. It could happen next month. So it, it, to me, it doesn't matter. If, I knew, if we knew the day and it was in, I don't know, six years, even two years, one year, next week, are you willing to continue to live your life how you want, rolling the dice, banking on the fact that that end is going to come before your end or that you can just stop the day before and say, okay, I'm in, I trust you, I believe you so that I'm good for tomorrow. Where's the love in that? Where, where is the, 
the reverence for an almighty, all-powerful creator who, who created us and everything that we see and has done the work necessary to save us in that. Let's go to the how. I mean, I'm all over the place this morning. so I, it, and, and also a little bit about the who. Um, the end is not going to be good. So as far as the how, it's, it's just, it's not going to be good. Well, I'll just bank on the fact that if the rapture occurs, then I've got seven more years to, to believe. Yeah, right? Yeah, no. Um, I think for the most part, it's not that, that we that we in our minds are thinking about planning to, to, to you know, do whatever we want until the closest or till the last possible moment, but, but we, we just live that way anyway. We, we are deceived to think that, that, that we don't need to make a decision today. Paul confirms in these first three verses that we will not want to experience those days. Now, also, what I want you to look at me with is the pronouns, the personal pronouns in, in these first three verses. Now, brothers and sisters, Paul's talking about brothers and sisters, those who are in Christ, about times and dates, I don't need to write to you because you know that it's, it's just going to come. We don't know a date, etc. Paul says we don't need to talk about that. But then those personal pronouns change in verse 3. While people, so it's not you now, it's not brothers and sisters, it's while people He's not talking about the Christians anymore. He's talking about those who are outside the kingdom. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. The believers, the brothers and sisters, they have been raptured out. When it comes to the day of the Lord, the end, it's them. Those who didn't believe will not escape. Jeremiah 30, verse 7, how awful that day will be. No other will be like it. It will be a time of trouble for Jacob, but he will be saved out of it. Colossians 1.13, for he, Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. We've been rescued out of the darkness. There will be judgment. There will be. God's wrath will be poured out on our world. Yes, his grace and love and mercy and forgiveness have changed the universe, but but we know that he can't just sweep sin under the rug. It has to be dealt with in a just way. And the way that he dealt with that in a just way was to provide a perfect sacrifice, and that perfect sacrifice was Jesus Christ himself. You see, he didn't do away with the law. He fulfilled it. He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves in regards to the law. Jesus did. And when we put our faith and trust in him, he then becomes that covering over our sin. God sees us through the blood of Jesus. And we are forgiven. We are saved. We are adopted into the kingdom. God's justice remains. His holiness remains. 
those who aren't in Christ at death or when the day of the Lord comes, they will not escape. And after reassuring us that as Christ followers, we will be resurrected with Jesus at the rapture and warning us to be sure that we are ready, he cautions us how to live right now again. Look at verse 4 and 5. But you, brothers and sisters... You are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. We're no longer wandering around without the necessary information to believe, to be saved. We will no longer be caught by surprise. There was a time in my life where I didn't want the rapture to happen because there were things in life that I wanted to experience. I'm not sure how reasonable or (laughs) logical that was. I just obviously didn't have a, a good understanding of what heaven is going to be like and how that compares to the life that I'm living today or that I was living back then. Maybe some of you kids are thinking that same thing. There's things that I want to, I want to, I want to get married. I want to have children. I, I want to experience additional things in life. But can you imagine if we're all that are in this room, that are listening online, hear the trumpet blast? I mean, think about that. That would be a a shock of a lifetime um, for an eternity, actually. Uh, and and I know I know many who 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 think that because of some other signs that that we are this is the generation that's going to to experience the day of the Lord and the rapture. I don't know that to be true, uh, and I also don't want to fixate on that. I, I don't want to have hope that the rapture is going to occur. I want to have hope that Jesus is my Savior. You know, that, that my hope is in the one who saves me, not just the event that's going to be a part of that. Because again, we don't know when our last but We need to be ready. So verse 6, so then, like us not, so then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So word of number two, live with faith, hope, and love in the light. We were all once dead in our sin, but those who have trusted Christ as their Savior have been transferred from the darkness into the light. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, Paul tells the Ephesians, as for you, you were dead. You were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 
There's a spiritual battle going on. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving wrath. If you have been saved from the darkness to the light, you now are free from the wrath of God because of what Jesus did. We've been rescued from the darkness. Paul tells uh, tells the Colossians, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The beginning of, of this letter to the Thessalonians, Paul talks about how they had been chosen by God. They, they had been chosen by them. For you have been appointed. He, he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another. I'm sorry, this is the end of, of Chapter 5 in 1 Thessalonians. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Again, Paul says, encourage one another with this news. It's, It's both encouraging and sobering. Yes, the end will be an awful day. And those words can be alarming. Especially in light of where our world is today. But our hope continues to be strong and sure when we are in Christ Jesus. I read something this, this morning or yesterday, I don't remember what it was. It was a post of a friend of mine and, and he was talking about all the signs and everything that, that, that we're seeing today and, and he, he wanted to say, so we need to rise up and stop this all from happening. Now, look, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with being, you know, politically active. I'm, I'm not saying that we should just sit on our hands. But, but if we think that somehow the actions that we take are going to stop the signs, we're, we're, we're wasting our energy. We need to, we need to, um, move that energy from thinking we're somehow going to slow down the signs of the end. We need, to, we need to move that energy to helping everybody experience the peace and, and salvation in Christ for when the end does come. Chuck Swindoll gave a couple pieces of counsel in regard to what Paul says here, and I wanted to give us those as, as I come towards the end of the message this morning. First of all, For those who are in Christ, don't be indifferent because your future is secure. Back in in the old days, (laughs) we used to call it fire insurance. You know, don't get your fire insurance and put it in a drawer and then just live the rest of your life, or think that you can live the rest of your life however you want. Safe and secure, Your, your name is written in the book of life, and now I can just do whatever I want. Well, if that's your attitude, I wonder if your name is actually written in the book of life, and I think you need to revisit that question. There is still work to be done. Um, Both in the area of faithfulness and evangelism. You know, we often have success in life, and then we sort of just kind of rest or we we coast. It's, It's almost like, it's almost like we think that we can paddle upstream past the rapids and get to some slow water and stop and think we're just going to keep 
going forward, that's not going to happen. The paddling may get easier a little bit when you get into those, that soft time. Or um, I, I saw it on the football field this, this weekend multiple times. A team scores. I mean, they start the game with this huge sense of urgency, right? And they score and they get ahead and they just sort of all go, <sighs> we're ahead. And then the next thing you know it, the other team takes one minute. It took you five. It takes the next team one minute to march down the field and score a touchdown to tie the game up. And then you're like, oh, whoa, guess we bet it's urgent again. The score is tied. And, and we have to, to, to get to the point where we, we consistently have an, a sense of urgency when it comes to people knowing Christ. Because we don't know the day that we're going to be gone and unable to do that. We might be maybe the only person this person knows or has a strong relationship with. And we for sure obviously don't know the day that that person is going to take their last breath. I talked with a pastor this week and he said there was a time in his life when he spent three years pouring, studying in times theology, eschatology. He wanted to understand it. He wanted to know it. Three, for three years, he invested an inordinate amount of time for study. And he said at the end of that time, he realized that in those three years, not one time had he shared his faith. And he came to the conclusion. You see, he was living in the either or instead of the both and. He came to this conclusion. He said, I've concluded that I, as I am not on the planning committee, I am on the invitation committee. I don't know the plan. I know some details about it. We're given some details about it, but we don't know exactly what it was, but we are all on the invitation committee. So let's continue to look for those we can share the gospel with. And the second piece of advice that Chuck Swindoll gives is this. For those who are not in Christ... Don't be fooled because today your life seems calm. Now, I know the pandemic has everybody on edge and you're like, how could anybody's life be calm at this point in time? But there are people even today who have a good job, they live a comfortable life, um, the, the, the environment that they're in is, is, is good, they feel safe, uh, they're doing their own thing. There's a level of comfort in my life, and that's exactly where the enemy, the dark powers of this world, want you to be, if that's you. You're right where Satan wants you to be. And for you, there is no sense of urgency to believe, no sense of urgency to surrender your life to Jesus, because, you know, you kind of figure you got 10 or 20 years more to go of life. Don't be fooled. You are living in darkness and you don't know how many days of breath you have left. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Verse 3, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. There's a man by the name of E. Schuler English. He was a Bible teacher, an author, and a prominent figure in the evangelical Christian community. 
He died at the age of 81 in the year 1981. He once told a story of a Long Island man who ordered an extremely sensitive barometer from a respected company. We used to have this barometer in our porch. It was like a little glass thing and it had a little stem on it and it had blue colored liquid in it. And, and when, when it would, when the forecast was looking at stormy weather, and for me it was always about a snowstorm, I couldn't wait for the next snowstorm, the next blizzard. And I would go every day out to that porch and I would look at that barometer and see if that, that liquid was being pushed, whichever direction it needed to be pushed in this particular barometer to indicate that a storm was a brewing. I didn't just recently come by this love of snow and blizzards, mind you, okay? Well, so this, this, uh, this Long Island man, he ordered an extremely sensitive barometer. When the instrument arrived at his home, he was disappointed to discover that the indicating needle appeared to be stuck, pointing to the sector marked hurricane. After shaking the barometer vigorously several times, which is never a good idea with a sensitive instrument, I mean... You're supposed to tap them, right? Who's, who in here has ever tapped a barometer? Raise your hand. I want to see it. Yeah, which direction is it going? Is it going towards storms or is it going towards clear? I did that yesterday. The new owner wrote a scathing letter to the store and on the following morning on his way to his office in New York, he mailed it. That evening... He returned to Long Island to find not only the barometer missing, but his house missing as well. For the needle of the instrument had been pointed correctly, there was a hurricane. You see, today you may feel like your life is relatively good. Other than the frustrations of the pandemic and politics, your life is comfortable. You're, you're healthy, you're well-fed, you have a safe roof over your head, and reliable transportation, your, your job is safe and providing you your wonderful life, but that doesn't change the fact that God's barometric needle is pointing at hurricane. And, and a storm is coming. It may not be this week or this year, but whether you face God's wrath in this world or the world to come, Christ alone is the only one who can rescue you from the coming wrath. Christ alone. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, Paul starts out with in, in this letter to, to these people. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. It's Jesus. Just as the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and there will be no escaping it, so death comes for many. Sometimes it's a 50-something-year-old husband. Sometimes it's a 13-year-old child. Sometimes it's because of a car crash or a heart attack or a wreck on a horse or a misstep in front of a cow in a corral. We don't know. Don't wait. Don't be fooled. 
Believe today. Don't put it off another minute. Jesus paid the debt for your sin with his blood on the cross. He was crucified. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. And right now, he stands at the right hand of the Father, ready to adopt you into the family and the kingdom of God. So for those who are in Christ, don't be indifferent. Because your future is secure. Actively participate on the invitation committee. And don't be fooled for those who are not. Because today your life seems calm. Because today your life could be over. Today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your incredible grace and mercy. And Father, I pray that those who stood last week and surrendered their life to you have been seeing the peace and the joy that that comes from surrendering their life to Jesus. And if there is anyone here today watching, or listening, or in the room, and they don't know where their eternity lies, but, but they believe that, that Jesus lived and walked the earth and was God and died and is now raised alive today. I pray that you would help them to confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that you are Lord. And as I said last week, for those who who stood, I pray that they too would let somebody know, let us pastors know that, that you have, that they have given their life to you, that we can encourage them and pray for them, answer any questions they might have. Father, for those of us who are here today who, who are in Christ, maybe it's just been for a week or a month or, or several years or decades, Father, I pray that you would help us to live each day, no matter what circumstances we experience in life, with you as our solid rock, with our hope in you. And that, and that as we continue to face hostility, no matter where it comes from in this world, that we would remain faithful to you, anchored and moored to the solid rock that you are. And that as we live that way and as we talk about it with our friends, that they too would see and believe in the good news of the gospel. And Father, thank you for this uh, ordinance that you've given us here today that we celebrate, that we remember this first Sunday of the month of November. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we close our 